I was a little disheartened as I've been doing some studying um, about uh, kind of a survey of kind of the Christian worldview, or at least um, how, how kind of Christians' um, aptitude is when it comes to Scripture and, and biblical understanding and things along those lines. I, um, I, I looked at a study by Barna, um, and they said only 17%, uh, 17% of churchgoers have a biblical worldview. Worldview, right, is kind of the glasses, the lens in which you view the world around you. Even more, maybe worse, uh, is 25% of uh, people that go to church every week read their Bibles. Bummer. Right now, as a pastor, I'll just be honest with you. This really bums me out because it doesn't matter your GPA. It doesn't matter your occupation, your income, who you're dating right now, and who you're going to marry someday. All that matters on this side of heaven is that you know and that you love Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that really matters. And see, God, I want, I want us to understand this. God doesn't bypass our minds to get to our hearts. Churches are full of, of emotional Christians that don't know the God they're actually saying they worship. God does not bypass our, our minds to get to our hearts. Rather, he informs our minds so they can lead our, our hearts. In the book of Romans chapter um, 12, it says, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing, and perfect will is. Our minds are an important part of becoming who God wants you and I to become. And so over the next few weeks, I want to dive deep into the, into the heart of Christianity, into the deep theological truths uh, and doctrine that is, that is our faith, if you, are, if you are a follower of Christ. See, it would be silly for me to say that I, I, you know, I, I know or I love my wife without me knowing really anything about her. Right? Rather, um, the more I know about her, the more in love I fall with her. And see, the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. It's called theology, theos, God, ology, the study up, right? When we come to study God as he's revealed himself in Scripture, the more that we can develop a heart that is pointed towards his direction, or in other words, the more we can fall in love with who he is. And so why, why do we call this series kind of the, the creed? Well, why did I decide to, to call this series the creed? Well, the early church kind of established these statements of beliefs that were uh, supposed to be recited by believers kind of weekly or every time that they were in church um, to kind of convey what uh, the deep truths expressed in Scripture were, right? Now, these statements were simply called creeds. In Latin, credos, it just means I believe. That's simple enough, right? Now, in in antiquity, there are three kind of ancient creeds um, uh, that most of the church study. But the one that was the most famous is one called the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you've maybe been in church or you grew up in kind of a certain denominations, you recited this all the time. And, and you probably, um, if you grew up in places like that, you, w- you would know this um, pretty well. I love the way that one theologian says this, though. He says, the lines of this creed aren't merely words. They convey the essence of what we confess and believe as followers of Christ. Now, it was called the Apostles' Creed, not because the apostles wrote it. Now, if you're not a churchy person, the apostles were to simply think of Jesus' as homies, right? There are people that walked and talked with them and kicked it with them, right? So when you think apostles, just think of that. Now, The Apostles' Creed, I don't believe, and and a lot of scholars don't believe, was actually written by the Apostles. Rather, what's important for us to understand um, is it was an accurate summary of what the Apostles, the people that saw Jesus, the eyewitnesses to his life, actually taught. Now, the Creed was useful in kind of several ways, and I, I have a slide for this. The Creed was a public statement of faith. In other words, right, like people would gather together and they would say, I believe, and they would list off a few of the following things we're going to read in a second. The creed anchored um, uh, people, Christians, in doctrines. That's important. Doctrines kind of sound like this old, like, what is a doctrine? But it's important for us to understand that doctrines kind of give us guardrails for us to kind of know God. God says, hey, this is how I'm going to reveal myself. This is how you need to know me. Doctrines kind of give us that guardrail to know God. And this was also important because in the early church, in, in, the, in the early formation of the Christian faith and church, there was a lot of heresies. That's non-biblical ideas coming into the Christian faith. And so uh, doctrine was important because it was like, no, that's not biblical. One, one was called um, adoptionism. You don't really know much about it other than there was a group of people that said that Jesus wasn't actually God. 
Well, that's pretty important to Christianity that Jesus was God, a second member of the Trinity. Uh, the third is the, uh, the creed was a tool for discipleship. In other words, like it helped people move along in their faith, right? Like uh, here are kind of the guardrails for you to become who God wants you to become. And then lastly, the creed helped many believers who could not read their Bibles know about God, which is great, right? Because most of us probably don't read our, never mind. All right, so the, uh, the Apostles' Creed is, um, is awesome, and, and, here, and here's what it is. And, and, and I would challenge you to memorize it. It's a really important um, uh, uh, statement, and here it is, and I think I have a slide for it. Cool, it says this. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today, here's kind of what I want to spend some time talking about, and I highlighted it up there. I want to talk about how God created all things. He created you, me, and all physical matter, time, space. He created it all. When I was a kid, I, I had a favorite cartoon, uh, and my favorite cartoon was Rugrats. You guys ever watch Rugrats? Yeah. I had two. Tommy was my homeboy. Um, uh, two, two cartoons that were like my jam. Rugrats, Rocket Power. Has anyone ever, you know, like, what's up with Rocket Power, right? I miss it, man. It's just not the same. That and The Simpsons, but I would have to watch it at 11 o'clock at night. My parents went to bed because um, <laughs> they wouldn't let me watch it. So uh, I remember learning one episode, um, and see, I don't know why they put this I, mean, I don't know. So anyways, I remember learning one episode um, that babies were created by storks and birds and then were delivered to moms and dads that were loving and wanted kids. This was an epiphany. This was like, oh my gosh, I came from a bird. This is crazy, right? <laughs> Which will catch, this will catch, you'll see, because one time I learned, I tried, to, I tried to fly. It's another story. All right. Um, <laughs> and I broke my, anyways, all right. Uh, the, the, okay, one day when I was about six, I walk over to my best friend Taylor's house who lived next door and he was about eight. And um, for some reason, his, his, his parents gave him an airsoft gun. Who gives an eight? Anyways. Um, and so he's outside of the front of his house, right, just shooting birds. And so I run over to his house, and I'm, I'm, I'm just screaming at him, like, you murderer. Like, you know, like, like you, how dare you kill people? You're like, what are you doing, dude? Like, somewhere in there is a little baby, you know? Like, and so I'm like, I'm like, what is this kid doing? He's, he's a murderer. We need to call somebody. You put him in jail, you know? And I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, eating up inside, right? And he's like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm like, and so I tell him, I tell him uh, what I learned from Rugrats, that babies came from storks and birds, and he just started laughing at me, like, you idiot. You know, like, what are you? And so then, at that moment, he thought it was a good idea to tell a six-year-old and proceed to tell me the truth of where babies really came from. And uh, that was the moment that I lost my childhood, right? So <laughs> I went to kindergarten, and I was like telling my friends, like, yo, you're not going to believe this, but babies don't come from storks. They're like, what? And I was like ruining kids' childhoods, right? I'm like, and by the way, Santa doesn't exist either. Like, what? Um, anyways, back to the Apostles' Creed. So it begins kind of with this really important statement, right? I highlighted it earlier. And, and it's almost word for word for what we actually get in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In Hebrew, it just means the beginning. And it, it is this. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, this is our origin story. If you're a follower of Christ, we believe that God created the world at this moment. And Genesis is the, is the, uh, the account, the historical account of God creating. Right? So this is our origin story, that God created everything ex nihilo. That's just uh, Latin for out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but every worldview, every religion has an origin of life story. And I googled a few, and they're pretty interesting. Hinduism has an interesting one. Uh, I'm not here to judge, but it's interesting. Uh, it's Vishnu was lying on an ocean of milk. Uh, ocean of milk. I just think that's like curdling. Like, okay, anyways. Uh, 
like sour cream. Um, he was lying on an ocean of milk and sneezed out a flower that had Brahm, and Brahm created all things. So there you go. Um, Scientology, which is real weird. Uh, 75 million years ago, the evil alien Xenu, you guys watch South Park? Okay. Uh, <laughs> 75 million years ago, go home and watch it. All right, evil, the evil alien Xenu dropped our souls in volcanoes, sending our souls into the air where he caught them with electronic beams like vacuum cleaners, Dyson vacuum cleaners so they could suck up everything, um, and uh, forced us to watch movies, brainwashing us to be religious. There you go. Um, and then, then science, right? Science has a few. They have the Big Bang Theory, which I'm a proponent of. I do believe in the Big Bang. Um, and then they have a, a macroevolution. They also have one that's called Pansperma. Pansperma is the concept that life originated, originated was somewhere else, and uh, um, came here via like meteors, colliding into the earth, things along those lines, and that's how life came to earth. But the point here is this, right? That when we confess that we as followers of Christ, Christ believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we're confessing two things. Number one, we're confessing that we believe that we are here because God created us. But number two, because of that, we can co only come to know our purpose as we know our God. Now, you think that's a pretty simple concept, right? But for those of you that go to college or have gone to college, um, try telling one of your professors that you believe that God created you and the world around you, specifically like in a science or philosophy class, and just see what happens. Just look at the, like the, the look or the face they're going to give you, right? Uh, I was in a philosophy class years ago before I went to Bible school, and uh, I told the teacher, you know, the philosophy teacher, I was like, he has like long beard, he's like old cranky man, and uh, for some, some reason all philosophy teachers are, and uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, like I, I believe that God is a God that created all things, created me, and that's where I get my purpose, and like he literally, like in front of the whole class, like laughed at me, like this like evil, like, <laughs> you know, it's like weird, like, <laughs> that's preposterous, right, and I'm all flustered, I'm like, well, do you know where babies come from? Like, I'm all like flustered, I don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I, was, I didn't know what to say. I'm all flustered. And uh, he was like laughing at me, right? And that's where like that was the moment I was like, never again am I going to like, I'm going to learn my Bible. I'm also going to learn like, like how did this universe come to be? And that was where I, I branched into a study called apolog uh, apologetics, which is not the study of apologizing, which most people believe. Uh, it is the study of um, uh, like the scientific, historical, philosophical defense of the Christian faith and worldview. And so point number one that we're kind of talking about today is this. I'm going to give you three points today. Point number one is this. God created all. And our verse for this, Genesis 1-1, is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now two things I want us to understand about this verse. The first is that it's one of actually the most important verses in all uh, of Scripture. Because if we don't believe that God is our creator or the creator of all things, then it's going to make it kind of really difficult to believe anything else that follows from that premise, right? It's going to believe that, uh, it's going to be difficult for us to believe that he's the authority and what he says we should listen to, right? The second thing is this verse tells us that God pre-exists creation. God pre-exists creation. I often get this question from students all the time. Uh, well, well, who made God then? You know, like, you know, who made God? Or as one, uh, one sixth grade girl many years ago uh, said to me in the sweet little voice, she goes, Mr. Matt, um, <laughs> she said, uh, and this is the funniest question, she said, uh, who does God call daddy? And I went, you. I just think it's, 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 no one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the answer to that question is no one, right? Uh, God is self-existent, or the, the technical or theological term for this is that God has a seity. That simply means that God is self-existent. Now, in this one little wor word, I think captures all of God's glory, because what makes God different than from people, from stars, from my corgi, and from all other created things, right, is that God and God alone is self-existent. 
God has no dad. He has no mom. No one made him or caused him. He exists and has always existed, and nothing has ever come before him. He's existed for eternity past is the theological term for that. Now, point number two that I want to give you guys today is this. There is good evidence. There is good evidence to believe that God created. In the book of Psalms, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And David right there is talking about space. He's talking about as he looks up into the sky. There's actually been a lot of um, ancient scientists and, and, and astrologists and things along those lines um, that have used this verse, Galileo being one. This was one of his favorite. Now, um, let me ask you a question. Does anyone know what happened on April 11th, 1970 at 2.13 p.m.? Don't say my birthday. I'm not that old, all right? I was born in 1992. Here's what happened uh, on April 11th, 1990, 19, what, 1970 at 2.13 p.m. So uh, Apollo 13 launched from the Kennedy Space Center, and it was the third scheduled, this is before we were born, third scheduled mission to the moon. Now, initially, right, everything was going good. Everything was going as easy peasy as it was planned. But about 55 hours and 54 minutes into their expedition, their journey to the moon, they're about 340,000 kilometers away from, uh, from planet Earth, um, they hear a loud boom, this huge explosion. So all the, all the astronauts are looking outside the window to see what was going on. And here's where you get the, the famous words from Captain Jack. Houston, I think I have a slide. Houston, we have a problem. I'm sure you guys have probably heard that. It's a pretty famous kind of statement, right? Now, what ended up happening is, is the oxygen tanks um, exploded, right? And so the, the astronauts literally, like, like, they're reporting back to Houston, that they're looking out the windows and they're seeing all of their oxygen just go out into the abyss. How horrific and terrible would that be, right? It'd be like, we're dead. I mean, have you guys ever seen, like, what's that one movie? Uh, Gravity. Have you seen the movie Gravity? Oh, my, I watched it in IMAX. It was a mistake. I was like, <gasps> and it, was like, it, was like <laughs> it was terrible. I was like, oh, my God. Like, who's, like, who's an idiot? Like, who, why are people going to space, you know? You couldn't pay me. Anyways, uh, it's, it's stupid. It's horrific. Why are people stupid? So anyways, um, so on their way there, right, the tanks explode, and two out of the three fuel cells end up burning up and blowing up too, right? So now they have one fuel cell, um, and it's rapidly kind of depleting. Now, the crew has a new mission. Stay alive, right? Like, how are you going to... We have to somehow turn this thing around with, like, not much fuel, somehow get back home when we're 370 kilometers. I don't know how many miles it is, but that's probably a lot of miles. Um, back home, right, when they have no oxygen and fuel that's depleting. That sounds like a nightmare to me. But somehow they did it. These guys did it. You should watch the movie, Apollo 13. It's crazy, right? They, they did some crazy things. One thing they did was they built carbon scrubbers. What is a carbon? They somehow like, took the carbon out of the air so they could have more oxygen. Then they did electrolysis, which is, what, who's, what is that? So they somehow made oxygen out of water. It's crazy, right? The, these people are brilliant, right? And they made their way home. Why am I telling you this? Well, why did I tell you that? Well, just as the Apollo 13 crew survived against all odds in these lethal conditions of space, we too survive all odds on this planet we call Earth. See, the conditions of this spacecraft are finely tuned to support life. And the slightest, pay attention, the slightest change in these conditions puts their life in jeopardy. See, in the same way, the conditions of Earth and the universe and the solar system are finely tuned to support life, and the slightest change in these conditions, any variation or anything along those lines, inhibits life from being possible. Now, scientists say that this is, uh, uh, the conditions for this are balanced on a razor's edge. I want you to follow with me. I think I have a picture for this. I want you to think of it like balancing on a tightrope. Imagine there's two skyscrapers and stretched across them is a rope. Now, if you take one step to the left or right, what happens? It doesn't support life, right? Like you're, you're falling to your death. That's basically what's going, uh, going to happen, right? Well, similarly, the earth and our universe are, are finely tuned and balanced for life. And if you make any kind of changes, there could be no life. Now, everyone agrees, right, when we think of the spacecraft that it was designed. All the engineers, all the astrophysicists, all these people would agree that this is design. And they attribute the fine-tuning of the spacecraft to its design. 
But for some reason, when you ask people, well, how did the universe come to exist? But tell me about like, like, your, how you believe the earth exists and life and all those things like that. They somehow say it's up to chance. Chance and time and matter and things along those lines. Well, I just want to give you a few reasons on why I think that's silly and how our world has the fingerprints and marks the fingerprints of an intelligent creator. And so if I bore you with this type of stuff, I'm sorry, I'm like a geek, I'm way into this stuff. This is apologetics. The fine-tuning um, to support life. This is also known as the teleological argument for those of you that don't care. All right, uh, I'll give you four things really quick. <laughs> the first is atmosphere. Um, we have a really interesting atmosphere, right? Our oxygen level is 21%. Now, here's what's crazy. If our oxygen level were to go down, let's, it, let's say it would go down to 15%, humans would suffocate. In fact, all mammals would suffocate. Our brains require an oxygen level of 21%. Now imagine you go up to 25%. Here, this even crazier happens. If you were to take a, this, just a match at 25%, if our oxygen and our atmosphere was that high, if you take a match and light it, you would explode the entire world. The entire atmosphere would ignite on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I know, Don, it's crazy. All right, uh, it, makes, it, it blows me away too. All right, the second. Go to the second one. Cool. All right, the Goldilocks principle. Uh, uh, there's something in astronomy um, uh, uh, that's called the Goldilocks principle. Simply states this. You can go to the next slide. The next slide. Cool. Uh, so here's what's crazy. Our Earth is in something called the Goldilocks zone, life-inhibiting zone, right? It's in the only place in our solar system where life can exist. If we were to go a little farther, Mars, we're too cold. It's like negative something there, right? <laughs> and if you go to Venus, it's like 500 degrees on the surface. Life doesn't e exist in those types of um, environments and things along those lines. So we are literally in the perfect and only place for life to exist. We're actually in the only place where, um, where liquid water also exists. Next thing, the size of the earth. Now here's what's interesting. If you were to make our earth two times the size that it is, it would be too big and it would, uh, the gravity would pull in um, more atmosphere um, and it would create uh, uh, high levels of CO2. In fact, it would be a world of a greenhouse gas, right? We know that life, because the news would tell you, life doesn't exist, right, in those types of environments. Now, if you were to make our earth half the size that it actually is, the gravitational pull would be too weak. You wouldn't be able to pull in an atmosphere with oxygen and things like, and things like that. Our moon doesn't have oxygen. Right? So, and, our, and our moon is about half the size of our Earth. Right? So we would have a, a, a world, an Earth like that, where life doesn't actually exist. Last thing, um, the Earth's magnetic field. So you've probably all seen like, the picture right, when you guys were in like, like, uh, science class like, years ago, back when you were in sixth grade, when they would cut it in half and you would see like, this iron molten core in the center. You know what I'm talking about? Cool. All right. Uh, so you cut it in half, you see that there's like, a, a liquid iron core, and that creates a magnetic field. And if that didn't exist, we wouldn't exist either. Now track with me, here's why. Our magnetic field protects us from the sun's radiation, right? Because it acts like a shield, deflecting the radiation kind of around us. You probably have seen like the aurora or um, the northern lights. I've never seen them personally, but I've seen them online, right? There's these crazy kind of things. All right, the last thing. This is the last thing, I lied to you. This is the last thing, because this one's like blows me away. All right, imagine there's a room in the universe that controls the universe. We'll call it the universe control room. Now there's a bunch of dials and things along those lines. Now all of these dials need to be perfectly set and tuned. Now, if you set one of these off, the entire universe doesn't exist. There's one. That's 12 there. There's actually 60 that need to be set perfectly for life in our universe to exist. Now, in fact, this is so astonishing that it actually baffles atheists. I have a few quotes from um, some famous atheists. Uh, Freeman Dyson. This is not the guy that made the vacuum cleaner, by the way. Uh, it says... <laughs> 
theoretical physics. Anyways, the more I examine the universe and study the details of the architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known that we were coming. Go to the next guy. Um, as we survey all the evidence, uh, the thought insists arises that some supernatural agency, or rather agency, capital A, God, must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific, this is an atheist, by the way, stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of a supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially created the cosmos for our benefit? Now, let me show you really quick what these men are talking about. You can go to the next slide. Cool. Uh, <laughs> something called the gravitational constant, right? We all know, cool. Uh, we, all know, uh, uh, we all know what gravity is, um, right? So remember I, I, I told you that I thought we came from birds? Well, I found that out, and I tried to get on top of my roof and, like, jump off, um, and uh, it didn't work. Uh, so gravity. We all know what gravity does. It pulls things down keeps matter together, right? Now, scientists say that gravity, the gravitational constant, needs to be perfect. Now, this is like super intense, but just track with me, please. All right, so it needs to be perfect for life and all matter and all the universe to, uh, to exist. It needs to be perfect, all right? Now, it's the, the, it is literally 10, I don't even know, it's 10 to the 40th. That's one with 40 zeros. Let me tell you how crazy this is, all right? Um, the odds, you go to the next part. The odds of being hit by lightning, one in one million. Uh, go to the next one. The odds of winning the lottery, 1 in 100 million. So let me give you an illustration just to tell you how intense the odds really are. So imagine you take, I think I have the next slide for this, imagine you take all of North America, all of North America, and you cover it in dimes, right? Then you take those dimes and you stack them to the moon a billion times, a billion times. That's crazy, right? So you stack them a billion times, like Donald Trump says it, a billion times, right? <laughs> and then, and then it's your job. I, I take one of you guys, I blindfold you, I, I basically take one of the dimes, I, I spray paint it red, and then I toss it into that billion, however many that is, there's a lot of them, and I blindfold you, I spin you around, and I tell you that it's your job to get the one dime that we need out of all of those, and if you somehow grab the wrong one, we all die. That is the chances for this one constant. And there are 60 that get more intense just like that. It must be perfect. So in short, I think there's good evidence, right, to, to, to say that there is a God that created us and created this universe perfectly for you and for me. And so the last point we're going to talk about today is this. Sorry if I bored you with that. I'm a geek. I love this stuff. Point number three is this. We can only know our purpose and meaning as we know our creator. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9 says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ just before the beginning of time. That means that your purpose, my purpose, was created before we even had a heartbeat, right? And so here's, here's the one thing I want us to know. The most miraculous and ostentatious reality is this, that God who spoke galaxies into being, who makes the whole world and earth spin and float, has a purpose for your life and my life. I mean, he has a reason that your heart beats inside our ch in your chest and in my chest. I, I guess I'll say it this way, that your purpose and meaning for your, for your life is tethered to knowing God. And absent from him, you will, always, you will never feel like your life matters because joy, your joy and your satisfaction for life is tethered to the strength of your relationship with him. See, you know what, when I think about when I was in junior high or when I was in high school, or I get to meet with a lot of different people, one thing I've come to realize is that the search for purpose has puzzled people for thousands and thousands of years. 
And more often than not, I think that's because we begin with the wrong premise. We, we start kind of in the, in the wrong place, and that is that we start with ourselves. We ask a lot of self-centered questions. We are in a time in life, if we'd be honest, it's kind of somewhat self-centered. Most of the questions that go through our lives or through our minds um, are questions like, what do I want to be? Um, what do I want to do? Um, what should I do with my life? And so we focus on ourselves. I want you to understand this, that focusing on ourselves is never going to reveal your purpose. You know, contrary to what we hear in schools or in movies or books or maybe your friends or Oprah or whatever it may be, right, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. So if you want to know why you were given life, you must begin with God. And so as we begin to end today, here's kind of what I wanted to, I wanted to end doing. I wanted to end encouraging you. Because the fact that there is a God who created you and who created me is incredibly good and awesome news. Because what it means is that you and I are not spontaneous accidents. What it means is that, is that we are not products of natural adaptation over millions or billions of years. See, you are here because God in the act of love spoke into being rocks and trees and nitrogen and oxygen and, and dogs and, and goldfish and, and all the other and stars and moons and yes, even you and me. See, if Scripture says anything, it points towards this. And this is why I love so much of, uh, of the parables that Jesus told. A lot of the parables that Jesus told, my, my, my specific favorites were in Luke chapter 15. They basically summarize a, a very important truth, and that is that you are special to God. The God that we talked about that created all those things with a level of consistency and, perf and, and perfectionness that, that, is, that is beyond the, the human level of comprehension. That God who exists out of time, space, and matter, who's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, om omnisapient, all-wise, that God, you have a special place in his heart. No other religion, no other worldview says that God is like that, that God is personal, that God is caring, that you matter to this God. You know, so tonight, I, I guess I wanted to, I wouldn't end encouraging you, but I also want you to know that same God that created the universe is the same God that you and I get to call Father, if you're a follower of Christ. The same God who, who performed miracles, the greatest miracle uh, of creation is the same God that's going to perform miracles in your life. The greatest miracle God could perform in your life is this, that he could forgive your sin, that he could wash away the thing that is distancing you, that is separating you, disconnecting you from him. That is the greatest miracle that God could do, is make the reality of heaven a reality for you. The other thing that God wants to do is he wants to give you purpose and he wants to give you a direction. He wants you to know him so you don't have to do life alone. Know that the creator of all things promises to be present with you. The book of Hebrews says that we have a high priest, we have a God who can sympathize, who can care, who can know and be present with us. And then lastly, he wants you to know that he loves you and that there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could do to stop God from loving you. We'll end on the words of Paul. He says this in the book of Romans chapter 8. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, who, who am I, God, that you think about me? What makes Christianity so unique, God, is it depicts, a, it depicts you as being a God who's intentional. Not just a God, but a Father, one that deeply cares about his creation, even more those that are created in his image us. 
So Father, I pray over the people in this room, God, that they see you as a loving Father. And they also see you for the awesomeness, God, that you really are. You are the creator of all things and that nothing inhibits you, nothing limits you. You are a God that is all-powerful. May we know, God, that you are bigger than our anxieties, our worries. May we know, God, that you are bigger than our stresses, our problems, whatever they may be, if it's an illness, whatever they may be, Father God, that you are a God that's larger than any problem that exists on this earth. And you, you ask us, you, you say to us that we could come to you and that we can invite you into our life, into our problems. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you for being a God that entered into the human equation, that enters today into my life and into these people's lives. And Father, as we journey over the next handful of weeks into this series called The Creed, as we learn more about you, as we learn more theology, as we learn more about your personality, as we learn more about your word, I ask, Father God, that you lead us and that our hearts may be attentive to what you want to do in our lives. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.